So we better pray before we start into God's word. So let's pray. Uh, Father, we just uh, thank you for today and just thank you for the things that you're doing in our life. And may we not take any gratitude uh, for ourselves, but to return all of it back to you. And just ask that even now, uh, the clarity of your word would speak. Uh, that the Holy Spirit would speak to all hearts that are here. Uh, the truth of the word that you've given us uh, through the hands of the men that you've chosen. And we know that it comes from you uh, because it's inspired. And so we just ask that uh, this time would be a time of edification and challenge and, and excitement because of what you've done in our lives because of Jesus Christ. And we just ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you'll remember, Pastor Eric gave the summary of Galatians uh, last week. The first two chapters are uh, Paul talking about personal experience with grace. And then chapters 3 and 4 is uh, more of the doctrinal exposition of what grace is. But then also in chapter 5 and 6 is the practical uh, exposure of grace in our life. And he talked about uh, being firmly planted in freedom. And the three aspects that he talked about last week were freedom from the law, freedom to love, and freedom in the spirit. So as I was thinking of uh, things this week, um, of just what Galatians chapter 6 is going to be as you turn there, because that's what's next, is there's three words that came to mind in thinking about what this chapter is about. Transition, transformation, and are you ready for this one? Transmogrification. That'll be on the quiz after service. But it, transition is easy. It's changed just positionally or occupationally, and all of us have had times of transition. Transformation uh, is a bit more drastic, you could say. It means to change in a form, appearance, or character. The transmogrification means to radically change, to even be considered bizarre. And a lot of times it's used in a negative sense as Frankenstein. Is that bringing a picture to mind? But hopefully you'll see... When, it come, when we go through this, pa- this passage tonight, is that it'll be in a different sense. And so as I recall my first experience of transition, if, if you put it up there. So I was a young guy in Santee, California. In fact, only a few, only a few miles from Woody back in the 70s, 1970s. And when I asked the teacher what dope was when I was in first grade, dad says, we are not having California anymore. And we took off for southwest Missouri, where I, I lived in a log cabin for a year and had fun with my BB gun and poking dead cows with a stick and skinning roadkill raccoons. And, and as you saw, we got the snake out of the, the hen house. And then as life goes on, a bigger transformation is when you go from, uh, you know, normal life into the military, it's a bit of a change. And it's a, it's a change in form. Uh, it's a change in character, and it's a change in appearance as well. Sometimes they make you put makeup on your face, uh, or camo, I mean. And, but it's quite a change that's there. And so what's even greater is transmogrification, bizarre change. And I've been bizarrely changed, as have some of you, that we discount so little. And as we go through this chapter, the challenge is, is the change there? 
And so you could say the title of this chapter is A Life Changed by Grace. A Life Changed by Grace, because you'll remember the tension in Galatians is what? Grace or justified by faith versus the what? Law, salvation by works. And that's what this whole book is about. And so Paul gets into the practicality of this chapter. And as you're thinking about these transitions, you know, there's some super smart guys smarter than me that have talked about change. So Dr. Kotler from the professor, the professor of counseling at California State University writes this. Mind you, he's authored over 80 books. I haven't read any of them, but he had this cool quote. I have spent the past 35 years writing books about change, interviewing people about their experiences, researching the features that are most associated with the significant transformations that endure over time. And here's my conclusion. I don't know. Neither do you. Neither does anyone else that I've encountered. It is indeed a mystery, a process so complex and multidimensional that it defies understanding. He goes on to say, when you actually review some of the important changes you've made in your life, especially those that persist over time, you'll likely find that many of them involved a rather high level of emotional choice. But the change I want to talk to you about tonight is real change. And it's that life changed by grace. So even starting with the question before we start with a verse is, have you embraced and experienced that high level of emotional engagement because of God's grace? Challenging question. Don't answer yes so easily. So let's look at chapter 6, but we are going to start with Chapter 5, verse 26, and it says, Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. You know what's scary is he writes this to a church. And the reason why I start with that verse is because in verse uh, 16 of chapter 5, it says, Walk in the Spirit. And in, in the, verse 25, it closes out that section nicely with bookends with, Walk in the Spirit. So now, it's time to put the boots on the ground. And if you're walking in the Spirit, you're not going to be conceited. You're not going to be desiring someone's praise. If you're walking in the Spirit, you're not going to be provoking, desiring somebody's humiliation. If you're walking in the Spirit, you're not going to be envying, desiring somebody's position or property. And so he starts off with this phrase of this is what not to do. Some of us need to star, underline, highlight, borrow your neighbor's highlighter so that we remember that, don't we? But then he gets into the positive. And he says, brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For each shall bear his own load. You notice that he starts out with brethren, and it means sister and two, or brothers and sisters. It's a common term talking to everybody that was in the church. And just so you know, we're all family. Yes, you're stuck with me as your brother. Okay, 
but we're family. And that's how he starts off this, reminding of this, reminding them of this familial restoration. Then he's talking about who to care for. And it says the one who is overtaken. I'm not the most graceful of guys at times physically. Spiritually, I am all the time, but it, physically. And the first time I, that I thought it was that, that I'm thinking about this is really bad is I'm this big, bad sixth grade crossing guard at lunch, right? So we're all coming back in because we did crossing guard duty, and I'm talking to somebody walking backwards. And the, and the front of our school has this awning. And I turn around, and there's that four-by-four four steel post. And I ate it. I think I still have a scar. Nice old goose egg. Didn't think it was there. Right into it. Then I was 15. You would think I'd get smarter by then, right? Then I'm 15, and I'm riding my bike with a friend, and we're going on an overpass of the interstate off on a country road. And I just ride my bike, and somehow I swerve on the other side of the road. Dan eats car head on with my bicycle. Now, I don't regret that one because that was my salvation after I came to six weeks later. But Dan eats car. So I'm still not done. So a few years ago, I'm on vacation, and, and I'm walking. And you're on vacation, right? It's great. It's good. And it had been raining. Well, I go to step off the curb. I thought everything's fine. Well, up to the street is three inches lower than what my eyeballs said that it was. So Dan eats the pavement. Sprained ankle, on vacation, you know how fun that is. The reason why I tell you that story is because that is what this word overtaking is. It's not a conscience deliberate choice of, oh, that's so good, I think I'm going to go sin. It's that suddenness of being captured. It's that suddenness of tripping. It's that suddenness of being overtaken with a sin. And we need to remember that suddenness. And then it goes on to say what? Hey, you spiritual dudes and dudettes. Hey, you spiritual people. And it's not a qualification. It's not a position that it's talking about. But what does chapter 5 end up talking about? Those who are what? Walking in the spirit, not tripping in the gutter. Just so you understand, it's not talking about positionally. And it's not talking about qualification. Let's talk about simply walking in the spirit in your daily life. And we're to do what? It says to come alongside. And it talks about that they're to be restored. Who here's broken a bone? Broken any bone? And the word restore is, is the Greek word with a medical term. And it means two things, to mend a broken bone or to put back into joint. If you've had it, if those of you that have had popped your shoulder out of joint, you know how fun that is. Okay. So we're playing basketball staff one day and Pastor Robert, you know how competitive he is, right? Well, I'm like four feet away. For some reason, he thinks he needs to throw the basketball 100 miles an hour. My little finger, I've forgiven him. I just remember the story. My little finger goes this way, backwards. I did not know that your finger could do that flip back in 90 degrees. So I just pulled it out and put it back in place and taped it together. Yeah. <laughs> and I still played. But the idea of restore is to knit together, to put together, to put back together, 
so that it's so that's whole, that it's sound. And it's important that we understand this because it's talking about a part of the body that's being broken is what the word that is used. And if you look around this room, is we're supposed to be interdependent upon one another in this life. Now, I'm the knucklehead, and you guys might be noses, elbows, toes, hands, whatever it might be. And we're each connected, like it says in, in 1 Corinthians 12 and Ephesians chapter 4, we're connected. Watch, watch my gracefulness. We're connected <laughs> to each other. We're joints that are knitted together so that we're not supposed to be separated. So if someone's overtaken in a trespass, what has happened with their participation in the body? That's why we're to restore. But how are we to restore gently? To gently restore. It doesn't mean that it's not going to be difficult. It doesn't mean that there's not consequences. But the attitude that we have towards somebody that's being restored because of the suddenness in the fall of their sin is gentleness. Now, most of you know my mind doesn't work right sometimes. So a fairy tale comes to my mind. Who remembers Alice in Wonderland? Raise your hand. A character not to model your life after is the Queen of Hearts, right? And what does she always say if she does not like somebody? Off with her head. And for some reason, I'm reading through this passage, and it says gently restore, and that pops in my mind. <laughs> Off with her head. That's not restoring gently, is it? But isn't that our reaction sometime? It's off with their head. Because we've forgotten where we came from, haven't we? We've forgotten the suddenness that we trip and fall. And that's important for us to remember when it comes to gently restoring. It doesn't mean don't hold accountable. It doesn't mean don't hold responsible. It doesn't mean walk with them. But it does mean you don't cut their head off. And just so you understand the difference we're talking about the suddenness of being overtaken in a sin compared to the deliberate rebellion against God and pursuing and running after sin. Two different contexts. So then it goes on to talk about considering yourself lest you also be tempted. It's easy to be so judgmental, but remember pride comes before the fall and we can't have the attitude to say well it's, it's never going to happen to me because then our self-sufficiency comes out and not our dependency upon the grace of God and it talks about how to per participate in that restoration it says bear one another's burdens and you're going to see it where it talks about carry your own load and there's a difference between these two the word bear and carry is the same word. The difference is burden and load. Burden is, is the idea of, of such a large and oppressive weight. It's the impossibility of a single person to move it. And that's the depth of being overtaken in this sin. 
Now, some of those things that start to run through your mind, and most of them are addiction-related sins, aren't they? If you're, if you're hiding with your addiction-related sin, you're not carrying your own load. You're, you're trying to drag that burden that the Lord has talked about getting out of. And so it requires us to participate with one another, to care for one another when it comes to this aspect. Because it's impossible for us to do it. And then he goes on to talk about fulfilling the law of Christ. And if you look at chapter 5, verse 14, it says, For all the laws fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love is an aspect of this gentle participatory restoration process of somebody that's been overtaken. Not hatred, not, not the Heisman, get away from me. None of that, but love. Restore with gentleness and love. And then he goes on to talk about If you think you're all that and then some, you ain't nothing. You're delusional. That's Dan's paraphrase. That's what he's saying. If you think you're all that, you're really nothing. You're delusional. Because you cannot see the reality of this life as a Christian and the battle with sin and what happens. And then he goes on in verse 4 to say, check yourself. He's talking about examining himself. And one of this, this commentator wrote that this idea of rejoicing, it's a weird verse, isn't it? It's like, am I supposed to be prideful in myself that I didn't want to check myself and say, yeah, I'm doing good and didn't fall? It's not that aspect. The rejoicing is in the fact of the grace of God of what's happened. And it's not that we're boasting in, in ourselves. We're boasting in what, what God is doing in our life. We're rejoicing in what God is doing in our life because nobody can say, well, look what I did in his life. Well, look what I did in his life. But it's the fact of us being submissive to the grace of God. And then verse 5 talks about, for each one shall bear his own load. And that load is like a backpack. Most of us don't have a problem strapping on a backpack and carrying it, do we? All our elementary students, if they go to school, they got a backpack and it just gets heavier the higher you go in school, right? But everybody carries it. And it's the idea of individual responsibility and accountability in the struggles that we have in this life, not the aspect of being overtaken in suddenness with a sin. And so that's the, what is supposedly there, is that there's this comparison that there's the depth and gravity of some sin that we need to, we need to come together with each other to walk this life through. But then we will always have our individual struggle, the load that we're carrying, that we're responsible for actively within our life to fight against. And so this, the first thing of a life changed by grace is, do you care for your brothers and sisters in Christ? And it's given us this perfect example of what's happened. In 
1884, James Wells, moderator of the United Free Church of Scotland, wrote in his book, The Parables of Jesus. He tells the story of a little girl carrying a big baby boy. Seeing her struggling, someone asked if she wasn't tired. With surprise, she replied, no, he's not heavy, he's my brother. That was 1884. Some of you will remember this song from a couple of places. In 1969, the Mollies sung a song. Anybody remember the Mollies? I don't. I was born in 69. Sorry. What I do remember is when I was in the Army and I watched a Rambo movie, and I think they were going into Afghanistan, right? And Rambo takes out a, a, a Russian helicopter with his knife. I don't know. But one of the key, one of the key songs in there is this song, He's Not Heavy, He's My Brother. So I want you to listen to these words and reflect on what we just talked about, our relationship with each other. And so here's, here's the lyrics. The road is long with many a winding turn that leads us to who knows where, who knows when, but I'm strong, strong enough to carry him. He ain't heavy, he's my brother. So on we go, his welfare is of my concern. No burden is he to bear, we'll get there, for I know he could not encumber me. He ain't heavy, he's my brother. If I'm laden at all, I'm laden with sadness that everyone's heart isn't filled with the gladness of love for one another. It's a long, long road from which there is no return. While we're on the way to there, why not share? And the load doesn't weigh me down at all. He ain't heavy. He's my brother. He's my brother. He ain't heavy. He's my brother. Now, this is a song. I don't know their spiritual state. They said there's no hope at the end of the road, but for us there is. And part of it is us living this life together. Being concerned, caring for one another. When we see our brother or our sister overtaken in a fault, is with love and gentleness. Hey, bro, what's going on? How can I help you? Or we battle the off with their head attitude of our flesh, don't we? We, bought, we, we struggle with the judgment of our, of, our, of our flesh. Oh, that'll never happen to me. Well, if they'd only done this, this, and this, it would never have happened. And it's so easy to write it off, isn't it? But if we are walking in the Spirit, we're called to care. When we're snatched into sin, when we're taken captive into sin, and we see all that. The next part that he talks about is sharing with the church. So caring for our brothers and sisters, sharing with the church. Verse 6, let him who has taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the spirit will of the spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. So the word share pops out in my mind. 
And there's one story that I recall. Actually, it's probably a story my mother and sister will not let me forget. So I'm like five years old, okay, five years old. And I'm a good little boy, and I ask mom for some cookies. I don't get on the counter and get it myself like on all the YouTube videos. We didn't have YouTube back then. If you're doing the math, that's 74. Anyways, so I, you know, I asked that, and she says, well, you can get two cookies and give one to your sister. Well, you know, five-year-olds are not great at mathematics, right? So I'm sitting here thinking, one for me and one for my sister means I don't get one. And so I have this dialogue with my mother. And, of course, the ultimatum comes out. You're going to share with your sister or else. And that's when I learned about mom math. One for me and not sharing means two for sister and zero for me. Now, hopefully we've gotten past this aspect when it comes to sharing. And, you know, the, the uh, blunt point of this verse with Paul writing to Galatia is they had an issue. And there's likely two facets of this. You'll remember that, we, that he's talking about grace and justified by faith and not of works through this book, Right? So who were the dudes that were preaching you need to do some works? Remember their names? The Judaizers. And these were Jewish people that became Christians but still said, you have to do these things. And you'll learn about one of them later on tonight. You still have to keep the law of Moses. No bacon for you. And some other things. And so what part of this verse might be is like, okay, you may not be following after them, but you're supporting them financially. And so the correction is, is you need to support your own pastors. The second aspect might be more as a whole, because Galatia was a region, like the state of Colorado. It was a region, not just a city. Is that there might have been a problem with the churches in Galatia not supporting the itinerant pastors. Other places, Paul writes about the fact of supporting those that are in full-time ministry. And this is how the church started. You know, the first church fight was in Acts chapter 6. And what happens is that the Greek widows that were believers weren't getting their, their, weren't being taken care of like the Jewish Christian widows or the Hebrew Christian widows were being taken care of. And so they bring it before the apostles. And what do they say? Hey, elect some guys that are wise and full of the Holy Spirit and they're going to be deacons. And so they do that. And they said, the reason why this needs to happen is because we will be given over to prayer and teaching of the word. And so the idea behind this verse is to support those in ministry with the emphasis on those that you have relationship with. Now, we are taking care of as pastors, and we greatly appreciate that. And so this isn't give me your money sermon, but that's what this verse is talking about. And then if you go into what the rest of it is being expressed, is as we look at it, he talks about, uh, don't, you know, don't con yourself. God knows what's going on. He knows what's going on with, you, with your money. And it's not that we're, we're preaching a, a 50% tithe or anything like that. In 1 Corinthians, it talks about, or 2 Corinthians talks about a cheerful giver, doesn't it? And if we really have a, a God concept, who gave you the money in the first place? Who provided your job? 
who provides your income, who's sovereign over everything. And so God's not mocked with what's happening. And he talks about don't slow, sow to the flesh, but uh, sow to the spirit. There's not this aspect of sowing for our own benefit, but sowing to the spirit as directed and needed. As we have opportunity to do good. As the need arises, as we see it, let us do good. And to do good means what? To display benevolence. To give. And then he talks about who? To all. And not only to everybody, not only to the community, but to those that are the household of faith. In other words, saying if we cannot take care of the own people in our church, what kind of testimony is it even if we are helping people in our community? So we're called to help pastors, our ministry leaders, community, our church. RMC has a benevolence program, if you didn't know about that. And there are people that that need monetary assistance for rent, for utilities, those types of things happens. We have a food pantry. We help those people that are inside and outside of our church. And these are things that you can also give to. Breakfast to the byways is going out Saturday. In fact, where you at, Robert Heffley, stand up. Stand up, I'm going to embarrass you. So this is Robert Heffley, who oversees Breakfast to the Byways. They go out twice a month. They come in here early. They fix burritos or other food, and they go out to the homeless twice a month. So if you're interested, that's him. Go see him after church. Thanks, Robert. There's other things. There's Mercy's Gate that used to be in our building that's across the street that helps people with utilities, rental assistance, other things. All of these different ways. But the emphasis isn't, hey, Church of Galatia do this. Hey, RMC do this. It's on the individual. It's the aspect of a life changed by grace is one that shares with other people. We're not trying to be buried in our red Corvette. But the things that God gives us, we hold like this, as he directs. Now let's return to verse 9. So I didn't cover that one, did I? So the paraphrase of this is, suck it up, buttercup. <laughs> suck it up. Keep on sharing and the crop will come. As we don't look for the immediacy right now. Because if we're looking for the benefit today... Of, of, the, of how we give today, it's an investment scheme, isn't it? And it's an investment scheme to line my pockets compared to if we are giving today because he directs us to, because we're changed by grace, the benefits we'll see one day, eternity. So we don't get distracted. And then when we get tired, there's only one direction to look. Hebrews 12, 3 says, For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. That's a tough verse. Because when you're whining and got an Eeyore complex, you forgot what Jesus did for you. Isn't that what it's saying? 
Think about what Christ went through so that you don't become weary and discouraged. Think about the price that was paid. For some of you that need a visual reminder, if you've seen The Passion and you've seen the scourging of the movie at The Passion, that'll remind you just like that, won't it? Because even though that's a, that's a graphic, realistic movie, it shows you what you deserved. So when we focus on that, and even when we focus on that in communion, when his body was broken, it was supposed to be mine. It was supposed to be yours. But he's the one that did. Is that it might put things back in perspective so that we aren't weary and discouraged. So I'll thinking about sharing, how are you with sharing? Right? Do you have a juvenile mentality of doing five-year-old math when it comes to sharing? Are we walking in the spirit when it comes to sharing? It's one of the key identifiers of the early church. It says they divided up as anybody had need. They distributed as anyone had need. That's how they were sowing in the spirit when it came to taking care of the church. But then we also see what happens if you sow the flesh. That couple sort of got fried, waxed, dead. Remember Anna, Ananias and Sapphira? Hey, hun. Okay, we sold our stuff. And we got to have our nest egg. So we're going to keep back this money. And we're going to tell them, hey, this is what we sold the house for and give them that. Remember that story? Uh, Ananias comes before Peter and apostles and says, hey. Yeah. I'd show you money. I don't have any in my wallet. But <laughs> we, sold, we sold our house for this, and you can have all of it. And he says, why have you lied to the Holy Spirit? Remember what we read? God's not mocked. Why have you lied to the Holy Spirit? Pfft, falls down dead. Sapphira comes cruising by. They'd already taken Ananias out. We're burying him. Sapphira comes cruising by. Peter, hey. Hey, your husband's here. There. Hey, I heard you guys sold a house. Did you sell it for so much? That's right. We sold it for this much. He goes, the guys that carried out your dead husband are right back here and ready to take you. Falls down dead. Now, that would surely change the giving program in the church, wouldn't it? <laughs> it might be honest. There might be a realization that I'm going to give in the spirit. I'm going to sow in the spirit. I'm going to share in the spirit not out of guilt and condemnation. Not because I want people to know, because I'll tell you right now, none of the pastors know what you give. So if you think that's happening, it ain't happening. Not because I want people seeing me put my hand by the offering box. No, Because God, you, you ain't faking the funk with him, are you? He sees everything. So are we sharing with those three people, those inside the church, those outside the church, and those that are delivering the word. Our last point, man. Hey, can we turn the clock back 10 minutes? Then I won't go over, right? The last point, dare to be different. Dare to be different. So we've had care, 
for your brothers, share with the church, dare to be different. Paul writes in verse 11, see with what large letters I have written to you with my own hand. As many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh, these would compel you to be circumcised. Only that they may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For not even those who are circumcised keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of our Lord Jesus. Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. This verse 11 is weird. Not weird, it's just a unique verse. And there's three different perspectives. The weirdest one that some guy wrote. So the Galatians were acting like a bunch of children. So he was writing in crayon. So they would understand it. That's what he was saying. They said he was writing in big letters. Now they had animal skins, parchments that they wrote on, right? He's saying that he wrote in really large letters so they would get, the, they would get it because they were acting childish. I don't believe that one. The second one says that Paul uh, personally wrote the whole letter because most of the time we know that Paul had bad eyesight. And he, he had a secretary, except the fancy Greek word is amanusis. Sort of, it doesn't go with transmogrification, but amanusis. All right, is the, the one that would write it. And you'll see that in some of the other books that somebody will say, Tychius, who has written this epistle, greets you. Because of uh, Paul still had issues with his eyesight because of what happened to him on the road to Damascus. Others, which I tend to lean more towards, is, hey, pay attention. I am the one writing this last part because I want you to get it. I want you to understand what we're talking about in this whole letter that I've written to you. So listen up. And he goes into discussing uh, the Judaizers and describes them. If you look what it says, as many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh, to show off, they had a love for men to notice them. Wait, didn't we cover that? The first part of the chapter, conceited, desiring the praise of men. The second part is, is they compelled circumcision. They required works for salvation. And circumcision is the one issue that Paul addresses twice in this. You have to do this to be saved. My question is always about what happened to the women. Isn't that a logical question? You're talking, somebody says, oh, yes, Jesus is our Savior. He died for our sins. He's forgiven us, but you have to be circumcised. The third point is they avoided persecution by the Jews. So we have the Jewish people that do not think Jesus is the Messiah. We have the Christians that Paul is writing to that believe that Jesus issued in the new covenant by his death, paid for our sins, by, saved by grace through faith. And we have these guys in the middle. They're riding the fence. 
Because they're saying they believe this, but they're saying you have to practice this. You have to obey the law. So one of the key reasons, well, the, 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 the Jewish people that don't think Jesus is Messiah, they're not going to persecute us because we still follow the law. And that's what Paul's argument is. It's the easy road. No conflict. No difference, no change. Just that added extra part. And then verse 13, Paul reiterates the imperfection of man. Because they're unable to keep the law. And they have the deception of false obedience. Because they boast in their dead works of righteousness, like it talks about in Hebrews 6, verse 1. It talks about repenting from dead works. Verse 14 is the key verse. The only reason to boast is to boast in Christ alone and what he's done. His suffering death is rising to life. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24 illustrates this greatly. He says, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, let not the mighty man glory in his might, nor let the rich man glory in his riches. But let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me. For I am the Lord exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these I delight, says the Lord. To boast that I know God, I know Jesus, but their grace is so confounding because he still loves me despite how despicable that we are. He still loves us. So the contrast is with the believers and Judaizers. Where was their boasting at? Paul exclaims the grace of God in Christ's transforming death compared to the desire to be recognized and not persecuted by the Judaizers. He continues to say that the death of Jesus is deliverance from the bondage to the world or the world's claim to me. And if you remember the chapter one, this is how it starts out, is that one of the key reasons in verse four of chapter one of Christ's death is to deliver us from the evil of this present age. To deliver us. Paul had died to the world, but will we? Will we dare to be different? He goes on to talk about that he bears in his body the marks of being different. In Colossians 1, he talks about filling up within himself what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ. Not that Christ's death was inadequate, but Paul grasped the suffering of Christ because of what he suffered himself. Will we dare to be different? Has the grace that has come changed us to be different? So these three points is what we have to consider of a life changed by grace compared to a life pursuing salvation by works is do we truly care for one another? And when I say care, remember what it talked about. He's not heavy. He's my brother. Hey, I'm with you. Lord, keep me straight because I know I can fall. Keep me straight. Do we share with the church and our community? James 
James in chapter two says, hey, and this is Dan's paraphrase. Everybody got this? You are full of hot air if you say live long and prosper and don't help them out. You're full of hot air. He says, if all you're saying is, oh, be blessed, be fed and be warm, and you're not feeding and warming them, it's not a reality. The last point is, do we dare to be different? And it's difficult to talk in America because persecution is pretty much nil, isn't it? But the practical application is, are we too afraid to speak a biblical perspective on things when people talk with us. I'm not talking being a hate monger, screaming at Acacia Park, holding your sign that says everyone's going to hell except me. None of those things. But there's still a fear of confrontation. So I'll leave you with this hymn. Grace Greater Than Our Sin was written in 1911. And I'll just read two verses in this chorus. It says, Marvelous grace of our loving Lord, grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. Yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured, there where the blood of the Lamb was spilt. And the last verse says, Marvelous, infinite, matchless grace, freely bestowed on all who believe. You that are longing to see his face, will you this moment his grace receive? Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that is greater than all our sin. Just imagine. Do we have a life changed by grace? Is it a reality that if we all care for one another, in those particular circumstances, if we all shared as we were directed walking in the Spirit in those particular ways, if we all dared be bizarrely changed, to be transmorgified, that we dare to be different because culture will think you're a flaming idiot. And that's fine with me. Because God's grace is what does it all. So let's pray. Father, we just thank you for the power of your word. And it's so easy for us to trust in our own hands and our own minds. And even as we've went through the entirety of this book of seeing the, trying to justify ourselves by works versus having the faith in what Jesus has done to justify us through grace. May we continue fight, continually fight against our flesh to bring merit to ourself because being in your family is we can't get kicked out because of what Christ has done. So may we all truly live a life changed by grace.